Hey everyone, I want you to welcome Alessia to the podcast. Alessia was growing up with a pretty average life. She didn't really have any anxiety nor depression. And then all of a sudden she got sick and things changed very quickly. She started having suicidal thoughts. She was experiencing depression and anxiety. Finally, after what felt like forever, she was diagnosed with PANDAS disorder. Alessia shares what PANDAS disorder can do to someone's mental health and how she's overcome a lot of the different negative side effects. I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Alessia. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good. Good. (laughs) I'm good. I'm very good. It's, um, this is kind of like a little birthday, pre-birthday surprise for me. So I'm excited. When's your birthday? Tomorrow. Happy early birthday. Thank you. (laughs) So fun. So I'm, I'm so excited to be doing this. You have no idea. (laughs) That's so exciting. Do you have any plans? Um, well, I'm, so I'm in my hometown right now. I mean, I guess you know that since I said I was going to be moving back into my dorm. Um, so I'm, I have most of my family lives in my hometown. So I think I'm going to do something with them and it's going to be a nice and relaxing day, which will be good because I need it. So (laughs) that's awesome. My birthday is actually on Sunday. Yay! So, January. Well, happy early birthday for you too. Thank you. So exciting. January, January is definitely the best time to have a birthday. Yeah, and it's usually it's freezing, but it's right. nice out. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. I know, me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, yeah, you're going back to school soon. And before we go into like what your major is, because I am curious, mm-hmm. let's backtrack a little because. When you were 15, you had an autoimmune disorder. I did. Tell me about that. Okay, so I had an autoimmune disorder when I was 15. Um, I'll get into kind of how it started. I was in school. It was spring break, um, and I got some sort of illness, probably strep, although I didn't go in to get tested or anything because I was just at home. I wasn't doing anything. Um, and it was fine. And then, you know, it went away after a week. And then suddenly, about a month later, I noticed that I was starting to get very severe suicidal depression. So it was like, out of nowhere. Before this, I had had absolutely no history of anxiety or depression. I didn't even know what anxiety was. Uh, and then it came on very suddenly. So I was assuming, okay, you know, I'm getting older or something. Maybe I'm just developing this. Um, I've got some depression. It's fine, whatever. And it wasn't fine. So I made the first mistake of not telling anyone about it, which is, you know, a big mistake right there. Uh, And I think I lasted about a month before I finally needed to tell someone about it. So I went in um, with my mom. I got some meds for it. And I was hoping it would get better, and it didn't. Uh, and then I started to get kind of psychotic um, episodes. So I started to get, like, temper tantrums, like the type of temper tantrums that you would expect from, like, a four-year-old I was getting as a 15-year-old. 
Uh, and I was just screaming. I was talking like a little kid. I stopped being able to form full sentences anymore. Um, and I, it was basically like seeing the personality of a four-year-old in a 15-year-old's body. So at that point, we were like, okay, what in the world is going on? This is definitely not just depression. Um, and the doctors put me on a few different meds. One of them made me even worse, and I started getting more psychotic episodes. And it just kind of kept going like that. Um, so I think about seven months later, I finally got a diagnosis. Um, and it was for PANDAS disorder, which is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated associated with Streptococcal Infections. Whoa. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not very well known of. It is actually a lot more common than you would think, but people don't know of it very often. Um, so, I'm sorry. My uh, vacuum cleaner just decided to turn on. There's we have we have one of those like automatic <laughs> vacuum cleaners. I'm gonna go turn it off really quick. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> okay, I am so sorry about that. I always say whenever like I have someone on and they're talking about something serious, there's always something that happens whether it's on my end or their end that like causes some kind of humor to come up. So it kind of helps us. Oh, there you go. <laughs> So don't worry. I I heard something and I was like, is her mom vacuuming again? <laughs> no, no, she's actually not home. That's why I scheduled it for right now. I was like, okay, no one's gonna be home. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. Forgot that we have that thing on an automatic schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Mine is on too. So on the schedule, not now. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess I, you know, I had gotten diagnosed with that. It was, uh, I think about seven months after I had gotten sick. Um, and we, we knew already that it was this disorder, but it is, you know, the brain has so much depth to it that we just don't know about. So I worked with a lot of high-end places, and they were very, very hesitant to diagnose me with it because they didn't know much about it. Hmm. So that's why it took so long to actually get a diagnosis. And basically what PANDAS disorder is, is you get strep. Um, and in my case, we don't know for sure if it was strep, but, you know, this was this was the most like this was the disorder that was most like what I had you know it was the best diagnosis that we could find so it's very possible that I had started with some other type of illness we don't know but it was along this line so pandas disorder is you get strep and your body has an autoimmune response to it and it starts to take your your normal cells as part of the harmful cells, and it starts attacking that too. For me, it started attacking my brain, which is why I was getting all that psychotic behaviors, the behavioral regression, all of those things like that. Um, And then, you know, it it continues to try and fight that strep, but then, you know, it, it gets rid of the strep and your brain is still there. Your cells are still there and it continues to try and attack that. Um, it's, it's a lot more common in younger kids 
about maybe seven or younger. We're not quite sure how I got it when I was 15. It's possible that I had had it before. We think I might have had it when I was 10 or something. Um, but yeah, that I mean, that's the gist of what it was that I had. Uh, it lasted a long time, and it was definitely the hardest year of my life. So Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking about just the fact that there was that month that you didn't tell anyone. And for some people, they might say like, oh, a month is not a long time at all. But when you're in those feelings and experiencing new emotions that you've never felt before and such drastic ones, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how that must have felt going from someone who wasn't anxious and was living like a typical life to all of a sudden like a switch flipping and experiencing these like scary thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had... I had had a teacher who's also, I mean, she was a teacher at the time. She's a family friend now. And I, I had talked to her about it a little bit. And she was like you, like, you need to talk to your parents about this. Like, this is not, you know, first off, if it is depression, you need to talk to someone. You know, any any sort of mental illness, you need to talk to someone and it's okay to do. But this also sounds like it could be a lot more than that. And you need to you need to go get help. Um, I when I first got the um, disorder or when I first got the strep that led into it, it was I was actually at a concert with her, that teacher, um, and I was like I was getting up and I was starting to get really lightheaded, and I felt like I was going to faint. Um, and so that was that was the beginning of it. And then after that, I was sick for a week. And I I just had this feeling of like, something's going to happen. Like something really big is about to happen. And I don't know what it was. And I remember texting one of my friends and being like, I don't know what's going to happen. But there's something big coming up. And I just assumed that, you know, I was I was sick. I was probably just not in my right mind. And then looking back, I, I, cause I didn't know what had started this. I didn't know why I was getting these psychotic behaviors. And that's when, that's when we realized that it was probably pandas disorder was because I was looking back on old messages and I saw that message that I had sent to my friend and I was like, oh my gosh, I had been sick a month before this started. That must be what happened. And then from there, I mean, I guess we were right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's wow. And and do you have supportive parents? I do. They're incredibly supportive. Yeah, because I was thinking about the fact that even if you have the most supportive parents, there's still something really, really scary and vulnerable about telling your parents or even like close friends something is happening that I have no control over. I don't know what it is and I need help. Like, those things are just so scary to say, even knowing like your parents are supportive and going to help you. It's still just something about not knowing what is happening is terrifying. It is. It really is. I remember I had, I had been telling myself for probably about a week, like, okay, I'm going to tell my parents, I'm going to tell my parents because I thought that it was something that was wrong with me. I thought that I had did something wrong and it wasn't until I had finally told my mom about it that I was 
realizing, oh my gosh, this, this isn't my fault. I really right. thought it was my fault at first. Right. And I'm curious when you got the diagnosis, did that, because I guess you're still experiencing all these different emotions, but when you got the diagnosis, did part of you feel a little relieved to know like that there was a reason for all of this? Yes. I, and I, I'm writing a book right now too about this whole situation. And in, in it, I have like a, a big underlying theme of like, it felt like no one believed me. I had gone to so many different doctors and I knew that like they knew that there was something wrong. That was very clear. But because it was so like there was a lack of research on it, they just weren't comfortable diagnosing it. So I went through so many tests for things that we knew I didn't have, but we did need to rule them out. I went through so many tests only to be responded to with we can't do anything else. Like, we're sorry, but we can't do anything else. And so I went through a total of 13 different doctors trying to get someone to make that leap and diagnose me. Wow. Um, so by the time I was diagnosed, I had already started recovering a little bit because usually it will, as you get older, just kind of take its toll and kind of fade out. I had already started recovering a little bit and I was doing pretty well. And then I went and I got this diagnosis. And it was, I remember walking into the, the office and the doctor taking just like one look at me. He had seen some videos my mom sent him of how I was doing. He took one look at me and he said, yeah, she has pandas disorder. And I remember being like, oh my God, like I finally got this diagnosis. And he handed me some antibiotics and then we were on our way. And it was so simple. And I was just in shock. I was in shock. It was that relief of like, okay, maybe I'm doing better right now. But for someone to finally believe me and to know that if I have more complications, I have someone to go to. Yeah. It, like, it was a feeling that I, I don't think words could ever describe. It was incredible. Yeah. I. And so, so you get the antibiotics, you finally find a doctor after all this time that can help you and understand exactly what you're going through. So you're 15, which is high school? Yeah, I think it was ninth grade. Ninth grade. So you're still really, really young. You're in school. How did it impact your school life? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I remember... It was when it started, I couldn't make it through a full day of school anymore. So I think I, I usually made it through a half day and I missed like my last two classes every single day. I think there were maybe like two or three days at the end of the year that I actually made it to class. Um I I had my my grandparents helped me a lot. They were like always taking care of me. So my grandpa would sit down with me and he would say, Okay, we're working on homework now. And it would basically be like, you know, he had to work through it with me. He had to sit down and do the homework with me because I couldn't process it alone mm -hmm. anymore. Um, and I, I didn't take any finals that year. I didn't do any of that kind of thing. And I think I just had a few projects to do instead, like end of the year projects to do. 
And it ended up being, I think, halfway through the summer by the time I actually turned them in. So it was rough. It was very rough. I had incredibly supportive teachers and I was able to keep my grades up to where I wanted them to be. But it was so hard. And then the next year when I went back again, I remember one time I I ran away from my teacher and I found like our school was this old, old building. So there were a lot of nooks and crannies and I found one of them and I hid and I waited and I waited and I waited until our principal finally came to find me. So it was it was chaotic. I was always not where I was supposed to be. I was always having troubles. I was it was it was really difficult. And you know, if if I hadn't had my grandparents working through it with me and basically giving me like forcing me to work on my homework, I would not have kept my grades up. Right. Wow. And and school is already like, you know, it's hard enough. You've got friends and it's kind of that age where people are, you know, not the kindest to each other. How did you, so then you start taking the antibiotics. How did you work through the aftermath? Because I can only assume you might not be immersed in those experience, those emotions anymore, but they're still there, right? Like, oh, yeah. and you still went through it. So it's not like you woke up one day and they're gone. Yeah. I, to this day, still have issues with it. I, I mean, I, I go to a lot of counseling. I do a lot of that. I was working with a psychiatrist at one point um, to kind of reverse that because even though I wasn't sick anymore, I had had a year long of patterns that I had made with my brain. So, you know, I'm not feeling good. Okay, this is the way we're going to respond by throwing a temper tantrum or something. So even though I wasn't sick anymore, I would still occasionally get those moments where if I was extremely stressed or overwhelmed, I would go back to that wanting to have a temper tantrum type of behavior. That took a long time to recover from, and I still occasionally have those moments where it's like, okay, I'm realizing that I'm I'm not responding to this the best way. Um, that was probably the hardest part of it was figuring out how to act like a normal human again, I guess. And I did for a few months afterwards. I had PTSD-like symptoms. I wouldn't necessarily call it PTSD, but it was similar to it where I I would be doing just a normal activity and absolutely like panic I would just become non-functional again um and kind of like reliving that those memories and that was those two were the hardest things uh dealing with that and then catching up just realizing that everyone else around me had had this entire year that I I felt like I had missed Um, that was around the time when everyone was getting their driver's license. I didn't end up getting mine until I was 18. Uh, that was around the time that everyone was making new friends, figuring out the whole high school experience. And it was just really weird for me because I hadn't gotten to do that. I joke around with uh, my family all the time of like, oh yeah, I missed my teenage years. And quite honestly, I kind of did. I mean, I had, I had maybe a year that I got to experience that. And that was it. So it it was rough, but I would have to say that I'm I'm grateful for what I learned because even though it was it was 
very, very difficult, I wouldn't be the person that I am today because of it. And, you know, if if I hadn't gone through that experience, I wouldn't have learned the things that I have. And I don't think I would be the same person that I am today. Yeah, that was going to be my, my next question was, what is, <laughs> because it's such a traumatic experience and you're still working through things as, which makes complete sense because I can't, like the brain is just mind boggling. And so I can't even comprehend like what you went through. But I always try to see the light in the situation and what you take away from it, because that's, you know, we're always going to come across these obstacles. So now that you're, you're not fully out because it's still something that you're living with. What is something that you learned about yourself that maybe when you were in it or before it you didn't think was there like what what's in you that you didn't realize you have I like that question (laughs) I would say that I learned about my purpose I I mean it's not like I didn't feel like I had a purpose before I got sick because everyone does and I knew that I did but I hadn't really found it yet Mm I was just feeling, you know, I was I was a high school student. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to figure it all out. And after getting sick, there was there was one moment where I really realized, "Oh my god, this could have killed me." You know, I could have just decided to let go, and I'm I didn't. And I I mean, I do think that was partly because I had so much support, but also the fact that I think I owe that to, okay, I have I have something here that I'm meant to do. And when I was sick, I made a promise to myself that I didn't know how I would do it, but if I made it out of this alive, that I would dedicate as much as I could to sharing my story and, you know, being that voice that I had once needed. So now that I'm not sick anymore and that I've recovered, I have started a brand. Uh, It's called Unoya of the Soul. Uh, Unoya stands for beautiful thinking. So I thought that was, I don't know, I like that. I I love the title. It makes me happy. Um, And I've started a brand. It's uh, mainly a blog right now, just sharing my experience, sharing what I've learned, and trying to figure out how to become that voice that I had always needed. So yeah, I guess I would say that I've really found my purpose after that. And even though I still have a lot of hard moments in my life, I've learned to really enjoy it and love it for what it is. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And we both know that Glennon Doyle started out with just her blog and now with True. her tears. So True. only yeah, good things to come. <laughs> we we are fueled by our love for Glennon Doyle. <laughs> yes, <but> really. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so... I'm, I'm also thinking about the fact that it's not very well known. Pa- what is it? Panda... Pandas disorder. Pandas. So literally spelled pandas, like a panda. Right. Got it. Pandas. And, <laughs> Like, you said that seven-year-old can have, like, that's so young. You can you can get it even younger. I've, I mean, I think seven is, maybe seven to ten is probably, like, the higher end, which is why it's so weird that I got it when I was 15. Um, but I have heard of, like, four-year-olds who have gotten it. And it's, it's awful. 
I've, you know, we've had some family friends who have had people who they know who've had it too. And it's a lot of things that like, I don't know, like so many people get it and they just don't ever know what it was. Right. I, I can even look back at like, I remember I was doing a report one time for school on like St. Teresa the Little Flower or something. And I was reading something about that she had had some sort of illness and then a month later started to get like just super emotional and not being able to control it. And she was so mad at herself for it. And I was like, that sounds like pantus disorder. Was it? I don't know. But it definitely was something similar. And I'm like, oh my God, how many people are going through this and they don't even know what it is? Yeah. It's, it's awful. And there's just not that much research on it. Yeah. And I don't know. It it just, it breaks my heart, honestly. And and I mean, thank goodness you, you reached out to your family and, and said this is what's happening because having suicidal thoughts is extremely scary especially as a as a young person and not being able to know what to do with those thoughts I mean it's it's dangerous and it's scary and I'm glad that you're writing about it and sharing your story because even if someone doesn't have pandas like having those thoughts seek help like I feel like that's also a big takeaway of what happened to you is that you had these uncontrollable emotions and you weren't sure what to do with it and you finally sought help and now look at where you are on the other end, though still dealing with everything, but on the other end, sharing your story in school, like living your life, which is right. important. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, this illness started with the suicidal thoughts. And that's when I, that's when I went and I got help. And I think it lasted with just suicidal thoughts for maybe a month or so. And, you know, that that was the time period when I went and I got help and I realized, okay, I'm not alone. And those are the things that I have continued to struggle with occasionally, even after it's happened. And now I can I can really say I have my bad moments, but I I genuinely love my life. And that is something that I do want to be a big takeaway from this is to tell people, like, don't give up go get your help. It's, it's not your fault. And I promise, I promise, I promise that it gets better, even though it's so difficult. It will get better. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, I, I agree with everything. It's hard. It's scary. It's vulnerable, but it gets better. And as long as you have that help and support, and there's so many people out here who have depression and anxiety and all these things. And whether it just like comes up because of something that you're diagnosed with or whatever it is, a traumatic experience, like there are people here, like there's a community out there for you. And now you've got your own platform, you're sharing your story, you're writing, and you're in school. What uh, what has that transition been like going to school now? Because you said that you're in dorm, so you're not living at home and you're still, you know, processing everything. Has that transition been pretty smooth for you? Yeah, so the transition has actually not been smooth. I went through a lot of like the behaviors that I had dealt with when I had pandas when I moved into my dorm. Um, so I, I kind of went back to those old behaviors 
a lot to the point that I did have to take a medical leave um, for it. So my first semester at college, I took a medical leave and I'm going to be moving in uh, again, um, I think like the 17th or something. So I guess we'll just see how that goes. I'm I'm feeling a lot better about it. I've been doing a lot of counseling, therapy, a lot of working with doctors on it and just making sure that I'm going to be in the best place that I can be to go back. Um but yeah, I mean it it still has been difficult. I still deal with that a lot more than you'd think. Um and I mean I've become pretty good at hiding it, I guess you could say. And it's not a good thing, but I think that a lot of people who have struggled with that can probably relate to it, is eventually you get to a point where you just, you just start to hide it because you, you start to think that it's normal and you start to kind of push it off like, oh, well, this happens to me all the time. It's fine. And it's not. And I guess just reminding people that you're not alone at all um so yeah that that transition has been very difficult but I'm looking forward to going back and I think it's going to be a lot better uh in terms of the website and um sharing my story it has also been very difficult (laughs) um it's it's hard to be able to share my story there are moments where I do get some memories and it makes it a little bit harder and I guess I've really focused on taking care of myself above all there will be times where I'm posting a new blog post a few times a week and there will be times where it's maybe just once a week or a few times a month depending on how I'm doing um but I guess the the biggest thing that I've learned in that process is being honest being honest when I'm not okay, being honest with that, because that's not the type of thing that people share. Like I said, I I tend to be really good at hiding it now, and I've learned to try not to hide it as much, to share that, to show people that they're not alone, because you hear of the recovery stories. You hear of the stories that people tell you after the fact, but you don't hear the stories that people tell you in the moment. And I think that can be really powerful. And that's something that I, I don't want to hide. So that's, that's the biggest thing I've probably learned with this transition. Yeah, and I think that it's also extremely important to show the middle process. And to be honest, and people, people connect with that. So if there's a week where you're not able to post multiple times or even if there's a week where you can't post at all like people understand that because they're human too and on some level makes them feel more connected to you because like oh this isn't someone who has it all together they're experiencing different things and there was one time where I couldn't put something out that I had said to everybody it's coming out it's coming out and then I was like it's been a hard time for me mentally it's not coming out and I think that was like one of the times that people connected with me the most because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Like we experience so many different things. And also like what I love is that this is your platform. So if there's a week that's hard for you and you can't get something out, it's fine because it's yours, right? That's the honest truth is no one's telling you when to put things out. No one's saying you have to get this out now, 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 now. 
And it's true. Like, if you need time for yourself, that's that's number one. Because you can't do anything if you're not taking care of yourself. Exactly. I think it's so common right now. I mean, working on growing the blog, working on growing the the brand and everything like that, there are so many times where I'll see, like, I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll see the, like, okay, here's the secret to growing your brand. Here's the secret to beating the algorithm. Here is the best strategy to do. And it's constantly focusing on beating this algorithm and always, always, always being present. But the problem is, is that those types of things always change. Google search analytics always change. Instagram's algorithm is always changing. But what doesn't change is authenticity. That is what people, I mean, I know at least for me, like when I'm looking for a new brand that I'm looking for or something, or when I'm finding out about this new blog that someone has, it's seeing that they're an actual human that makes me realize, hey, I want to learn more about this person. You know, like like we were talking about Glennon Doyle. She is herself. She is not afraid to post the things that all the rest of us would never, ever want to post. Right. And that's what makes her human. And that's what makes everyone so trusting of her and makes her a huge role model. Because, yeah. you know, there's so many different brands. There's so many different things, different books, different people. We're just trying to look perfect. But in the end, none of us are perfect. I know I have so many flaws. I have so many mistakes that I've made. And it's time to start owning up to that. It's time to start accepting it and loving ourselves despite it. Because, I mean, I I really do think that that is one of the biggest things that I hope to help people learn because it's, it's powerful. It is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more. I mean, I, a big thing that I struggled with in the beginning with this, like having spreading minds is, oh my gosh, I need to be this perfect person. I need to work from nine to five. But like, that's not me. Like I work better in the afternoon and at night. So instead of forcing myself to get up super, super early and then be miserable all day and really not get any work done, I had to change that and be like, okay, so you don't want to work in the morning. You get to take the dog out. You get to do different things. Work in the afternoon. You're still getting the work done. And as you said, like, Being myself, like in the beginning, I wasn't showing any part of me on the platform because I was like, nobody's here for me. They're here for the guests. Nobody cares about me. But without me, there are no guests. Exactly. So so a big part has been this past year is like showing more of me because I want to draw you in and share my guests with you. But I need you to want to be with me too. I want you to be in this space with me. And I think that's exactly what you're doing is like, this is who I am. These are the things that I struggle with. These are the things that I'm accomplishing. And join me on this journey and see my authentic self, which is what the world needs because we're not all perfect. Right. Yeah. And even, I mean, even just looking at your podcast, for example, this is a conversation, you know, you are a part of the conversation. And I think that's so important. You are the, the thing that brings the motivation to people, the, you know, human part of it to people. 
And that's so important. So, I mean, I love the fact that you've been working on that too. That is so important. And that makes me really happy, Andy. It really does. <laughs> well, thank you. Because if it was, if I didn't be my authentic self, then you wouldn't be here because I would have never tweeted at Glenn and Doyle and then you would have never found me. So, exactly. Exactly. All, all coming together. <laughs> no, I know. I love, I love the way that that just all happened. It was oh the most random thing. And it was like, this, this is, this is exactly how it works. I love this. <laughs> yeah. And in, in like talking about social media and like Glennon Doyle, us trying to be our, our authentic self, like the mental health space in social media is like at a very weird place. I feel like, like we weren't talking about it. Now we're talking about it, but I don't know that we're talking about it in a way that really gets the point across about what mental health is, who has it, how to seek help, and like the the crux of it all. Right. I would say I remember it being around maybe 2020, once everyone was in quarantine and finally, you know, nothing to distract them. We were all feeling our feelings and they were lots, lots of feelings. <laughs> Big feelings, big feelings. Um, and that's when I started at least seeing, especially on social media, people talking about, hey, mental health is real. Let's acknowledge it. Let's treat it, you know, uh, like not ignore it anymore. And I, I was amazed because I was like, this is so, this is so important. We need to start talking about it. But as with almost everything on social media, it can kind of get out of our hands. And I personally have felt that we've started talking about the fact that mental health is real and that mental health illnesses are real, but we didn't really latch onto the part of how to overcome it, how to grow past it. Um, and especially coming back at, to school after that year of COVID, I remember seeing so many people my age basically diagnosing themselves or just explaining that they have mental health illnesses without remembering that it's it's not a life sentence and that you can grow past it. And of course, you never know what people are working on in their own private life. So I know that all these people were working on it. But there were there were moments where it would be, you know, you're in the hallway and you hear people talking about, "Oh my god, if I don't ace this test, I'm going to kill myself." And that's just that those aren't the things that like that's not helping anyone. That is really like owning up to your diagnosis, but then thinking it's a life sentence. And it doesn't have to be a life sentence. I have even found that sometimes I don't like to talk about having anxiety or depression in a terms of I have it, but in a terms of I struggle with it. Like, I prefer to say I struggle with depression or anxiety because saying that I have depression or anxiety makes it feel like, okay, this is a permanent thing. And it doesn't have to be. Maybe I will always struggle with it, but it's not an identity of mine anymore. I don't need to fit into those boxes. I just need to be myself and I can grow past it. Um, and I, I would really say that if I had gone through all of these struggles with pandas disorder, well, the mental health 
idea had been more, I don't want to say popular, but it has been a little bit popular. I, I don't think my recovery would have been the same because I was, I was sort of doing it alone. And of course, I had so much support, but I felt like I couldn't talk about it as much, which kind of forced me to figure out how to just improve it and work through it on my own, which is not necessarily a good thing. But I realized that, you know, if if people had been talking about mental health illnesses as much in the way that they do currently, I think that I would have fallen into bad coping mechanisms. And that's the part that's just hard to see, is seeing how many people talk about it And I love that we talk about it now. It's incredible that we talk about it now, but we see it as a life sentence now. And that's not what it has to be. It, you can grow past it. And that is so important. And I think that's what we've lost in the process. And it's really difficult to see. Yeah. And I think a big thing to think about when we talk about mental health and anxiety and depression, like for me with anxiety and depression, like it's not linear. Like it's not every single day I'm experiencing all these symptoms of depression and anxiety. No, it's a, it's a wave. Like right now I'm, I'm feeling okay, you know, but there might be some kind of trigger along the way tomorrow, right? That I go into a depressive episode and I struggle with it, but that's when my coping skills come into play and I can reach out to my therapist and like things like that to work through it. But I I agree. Like I don't ever say I like I have it. I struggle with it. I struggle with it when it happens. I struggle with it after it happens, before it happens. But also like there are moments in my life where it's not present, and I don't have to feel those big feelings, and I can just live. And as you're saying, like it's not it's not static. Mm-hmm. It's it's a flow. And people need to understand, you know, if we're talking about coping mechanisms, like how to use them and what they do for you. And kind of we've been talking about mental health and now we have to like kind of reframe the way we talk about it a little bit. Yes. Yes. I 100% agree. It's, it's that we love, it's good to talk about it, but we need to talk about it in a responsible way. Right. And especially because now the younger generations are joining social media a lot faster, a lot earlier, and we want to make sure that the content that we're putting out for them is content that they can understand, resonate with, and use. Right. Yeah. Like I would say, like, for example, my mom, she has always been so supportive and she raised me in a way that allowed me to see that there's always room for improvement. There's always a way to reframe your mindset. There is always, always, always another way to look at things. And I, I, you know, seeing the way that things are on social media, I don't, I don't know if I would have realized that as much if I had had social media so young or if it had been the way it is today. Because social media can be an incredible thing but you have to know how to use it responsibly. And I mean, we just be, we, we have to be careful about what we put on there and what we, you know, allow other people to see. It's, it's difficult. You know, you, you do have to 
be able to remind people that they can work past whatever struggles they're dealing with. It's it's not permanent. It's not something that's going to stay that way forever. Even just yesterday, I was dealing with a lot of struggles and I didn't feel good. And today I feel great, you know, and that's that's the reality of mental health and learning to respond to that in a good and responsible way is difficult, but it's so important. Yeah. And and you don't need to experience it alone. That's why there are therapists. That's why there are mental health physicians that know what they're talking about. And, you know, there's so many outlets now to find professional help. Like it's fine to talk to your, to your friends and like seek comfort in them. But, you know, when you're feeling these big emotions of anxiety and depression, you need to get the, the real help to make sure that you know how to work through it. So that as you're saying, like, it's not an everyday situation. And even if it is every day in the beginning, like there are ways to see the moments during the day that aren't hard and aren't, you know, debilitating. And there's still light every single day that you can try to find to help you continue forward. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, talking, talking to friends, it can be an, an incredible thing, but they're not your therapists. Yeah. A big that's a big one I have also noticed um being able to being able to talk about it because that's something that I never never talked to my friends about until this became more well known and then I started doing that um or I guess maybe when I started having panic disorder because people knew that there was something wrong so I I did talk about it uh but you know just remembering that okay talking to your friends is important but you do need to be willing to get professional help too because your friends are not your therapists. And that's that's a difficult pill to swallow. I know I have made that mistake. I know I have been on the receiving side of that mistake and it, it can be hard. But, you know, just as as we now have a new view of mental health, we're kind of just learning with it. Being open to learning with it, being open to you know, different opinions, being open to feedback and kind of just figuring that out with it. Yeah. And I think an important thing to remember about the the friends aspect is like, it's great to seek comfort in your friends and talk to your friends. And you sometimes as friends, we don't always know the right thing to say. And so being mindful that your friends might say something that they believe is in fact helpful but in some way, it's not helpful for you, actually. And that's not saying that the friends are doing it on purpose or intentionally or anything. But sometimes we want to support our friends. And what we say, we we think is supportive, but in fact, it might be enabling whatever big emotions that person is having. So like, right. as you said, like, it's fine to talk to your friends. But also, if you actually need help, that's when you need to seek professional help. Exactly. There's so much pressure as, you know, when you're on the receiving end of it, it, there's so much pressure to say the right thing. And that's the reality is that you're not a professional. You know, I'm not, I'm not a professional therapist. I am nowhere near that. And it, there, it can be a lot of pressure. So there's, there's that importance that, you know, in any, any friendship, there is the giving and the receiving. And that, that stands even when you're having a bad mental health day. It still stands. 
maybe you are not going to be giving as much, but to still recognize that there is some to give in terms of lenience, flexibility, understanding, and giving that courage to go and get the help that you do need as well professionally too. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm curious, what are you in school for? So I am in school for either neuroscience or psychology. I have not decided yet. Um, I guess that's pretty much right up my uh, alley in terms of what we're talking about right now. Um, But yeah, I mean, I haven't decided uh, which one yet, but I guess we'll see. I'm leaning towards psychology right now. Um, And then maybe some sort of business or econ minor to kind of help out with growing Unoya. So I love it. I'm I'm excited to see where you go. I'm I'm glad that you're here today and that, you know, you're still working through everything, but that's what we all do, right? We all have to work through everything that we experience and I'm glad that you sought help and you're here, you're doing amazing things and you know, just a reminder to everyone that like we all experience obstacles and there's another side of it and I'm glad that you uh reached out and you're here yeah I I am so grateful for this honestly I I have been so excited for it (laughs) that makes me so happy (laughs) (laughs) good good because it honestly it's an amazing podcast and I am so excited to be on it and yeah I've I've told like all of my friends and family about it and they're all so excited so (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for coming on thank you for reaching out to be on This was amazing, and I'm so excited to see what you do next. Thank you so much, sis. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course, and happy early birthday. Thank you. You too. After your birthday, but happy early birthday. And happy early birthday to you, too. (laughs) Thank you. Enjoy your day. You can start that vacuum back up if you want. (laughs) I could do that. I probably need to. (laughs) All right. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.